Hey everybody, it's Andy. Welcome or welcome back to the Gwinnett Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, we would love it if you would take just a moment to download the Gwinnett Church app where you can have access to all of our recent message content as well as find out about what's going on around here at Gwinnett Church. And the app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. Most importantly, however, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. So I want to begin with, with um, something um, that we initially, a word that we really initially hate. I think all of us initially hate this word that we often grow or learn to love. And it's, it's this word, discipline, discipline. Um, it's discipline, the way I think about discipline, it's the friend that we hate to see coming but we are so glad they visited us once they are leaving, right? Like you hate thinking about going to work out, but you're so glad you worked out, right? A few years ago, um, Sandra, my wife, started working out with this um, woman named Tammy in her basement studio about 15 minutes from where we live. And she said, oh, you need to come, you need to come. I'm like, okay, excuse me. I said, that kind of sounds like a girl workout to me. So, you know, I don't know. So anyway, um, I began going just, you know, it was a good opportunity to do something with Sandra. And so, you know, two days later when I still couldn't feel half of my body, I realized, I think that was pretty serious. So, um, and, and so we began going and I would always hate it, but to give you context, I wanna, I, I pulled this off of, of Tammy's Instagram and she gave me permission to show it. I was gonna show it anyway, but I thought I would ask her. So this is my trainer, Tammy. Tammy is, uh, weighs 120 pounds. She has five grandchildren. She can, she's deadlifting five times, 255 pounds. And when I called her to say, I would love to show this video, I said, what are you up to? She said, 285 pounds. Now I can deadlift the recycle bag out of the plastic container. And so anyway, so, so that's Tammy. And so, um, so we, 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 did, we go Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, we did this for, for several years. And I thought, I told Sandra, I said, I would like to get a t-shirt printed that on the front, to the point of what I'm trying to communicate, that on the front says, I hate Tammy. And on the back says, I love Tammy because this is the nature of discipline. It's the friend you, you hate to see coming like, oh no, I gotta do that. Then once I do it, I'm so glad I did it because we never regret discipline, right? Uh, we never regret good habits, but initially we resist. Um, I think at some level, we all celebrate when we have self-control, we celebrate self-control in ourselves and in others, but initially self-control in multiple areas is, you know, it's, it's a struggle. And, and here's the interesting thing about self-control and, and discipline and all these things. Um, and this is, kind of interesting, and this may not be always, always be the case, but it's mostly the case that motive, motive is unrelated to outcome. And attitude is often or usually unrelated to outcome. What I mean is this, that if you eat clean for all the wrong reasons and with a bad attitude, you will still benefit from eating clean. And over time, your, your attitude might actually change. In fact, your motive may change as well. In fact, we've all experienced this. It could be that ought to becomes want to and endure becomes enjoy. In fact, probably all of us could explain or talk or tell a story about something that began as an ought to that you know now you miss it if you don't and it started off as an endurance test and now it's something you actually enjoy and you miss. Um, years and years ago, um, I because of where I lived, the only exercise I could do was run and I hated running. Gosh, I just hated running, but I just ran and ran and ran. And then I learned to love it and then I had a little back surgery and had to quit it. And now I miss it. 
It's the strangest thing. I hated it, I learned to love it, I had to quit it, and now I miss it. And honestly, I'm not exaggerating, when I'm driving down the road and I see someone running, I wanna roll down my window and just say, keep running, keep running, because now I can't run and I miss it. Run for us, you know, you just keep, you know, do it as long as you can, right? So if you hear somebody yell that out the window, that was me. So anyway, the, the, the point is, is this. Here, here's something we all know. That what begins, that we begins as sheer discipline, we've all had, we all have a story. What begins as sheer discipline um, that ultimately becomes a habit, that becomes a lifestyle, is life-changing for many of us. And maybe more importantly, it's life-preserving whether it's exercise or coming home earlier from work or spending less and saving more, less sugar, you know, call your mama, you know, whatever your discipline is. Discipline, you know, this discipline facilitates progress there. There's no progress without discipline. This is true personally, professionally, academically. Um, it's true corporately. It's true nationally. And discipline facilitates prosperity financially, relationally, and even physically. But and here's the rub, right? Discipline requires delayed gratification. And you, you all know what delayed gratification is. It's doing what we ought to do now so we can do what we want to do later. And there's the rub. And we will come back to that in just a minute. Today, if you've been tracking along with us, um, we are in part five of our series, Faithful, subtitle being Fueling Your Faith in a World on Empty. And the basis of this series, the reason we're talking about this, is Jesus was so clear in the first century that his goal and his agenda for his first century followers and for his 21st century followers is that we would be people of great faith, but not faith that resides in our head, just things we believe, but faith that's an active, gritty, in the real world, in the family, at business, at work, you know, in the neighborhood kind of faith. Faith that shows up when we show up. Um, faith that changes things. Faith that confronts things, um, which explains Jesus' early invitation, which was to follow me. Follow me. He would say to people, I want you to follow me. I want you to follow me, and you're going to learn some things, but I want you to watch the way I live in light of my faith in my Father in heaven. I want you to watch the way I respond to people in light of my faith in my Father in heaven. I want you to watch the way I live my life because I'm living out my life within the context of this deep abiding faith that God is my heavenly Father, and I want you to learn to live in such a way that reflects that deep abiding faith. I want you to move and live in a different direction. And Jesus never changed his invitation. Now, the church eventually did, as we've said throughout this series, the church eventually kind of watered down Jesus' invitation and reduced it to simply believe in me. And yes, Jesus invited people to believe in him, but that was just the beginning. Believe in me doesn't change anything. Believe in me doesn't do anything. Believe in me doesn't show up anywhere. Believe in me just resides in my head. It's, this is so much easier, it's so much safer. It's, it's far less demanding. In fact, believe in me doesn't require anything. It, it's an invitation to stay exactly the same way you are and to stay exactly where you are, no change required. But Jesus did not invite us to simply believe things about him or to simply even believe things about God. He invited us into a lifestyle that reflects deep abiding faith in our Father in heaven because belief alone, if it just stays right in your head, it actually creates feeble, frail and fragile faith. Faith that is easily broken. Faith that is easily lost. In fact, this is one of the reasons that some of you have lost faith or some of you are losing faith. 
You never did anything with it. It was like a muscle you never exercised. It was just things you were taught as a child. And when anybody would ask you, you'd say, oh, I believe in God. Oh, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. But if you never allowed or never learned to activate your faith in the real world, it was an unexercised muscle that got weaker and weaker and weaker. And now you're losing it. And here's how you express it. You say, I'm not sure I believe that anymore. I'm not sure I think that's true anymore. And that's where faith begins. But if it's not activated, it recedes into simply ideas and concepts in our mind. And Jesus invited us into a life that's way, way, way bigger and way more dynamic than that he invites us to follow, to wake up every single day with this question, what would I do? Not, what just, would I, not just what would I think, not what would I believe, but what would I do? How would I respond? How would I react? Where would I go? Where would I refuse to go? What would I initiate? What would I attempt? What would I avoid? If I was absolutely confident that God was, that God is with me. This is the life of faith. And this was the life that Jesus invited his first century and his 21st century followers into. So in this series, we're asking the question, what creates and what helps us maintain that kind of gritty real world faith? And you've met people like this. In fact, many of you are people like this, but when you meet people like this, especially when they're going through a difficult time, I mean, it's easy to believe in God and you know, sing all the songs when everything's up and to the right. But when you meet people who are, I mean, they're dealing with, with difficult things with their kids, financially, with jobs, moving, you know, their health, whatever it might be. And they just have this calm sense of peace and confidence in God, you think, how did you get that? So in this series, we're answering the question, how do you get that? In other words, what fuels, what fuels and, and facilitates the development of active, enduring faith? Or what are the essential ingredients? And we've said there are at least five. Now, there may be more than five, but there are at least five. And this is based on the life and teaching of Jesus, but it's also based on hearing hundreds and hundreds of stories of men and women who are mature Jesus followers who have faced very difficult things, but when asked, okay, tell me your faith story. How, how did you get to the place where you have that kind of real world confidence in God? And when they tell their stories, when you tell your story, these five things show up over and over and over again. We call these sometimes the five faith catalysts, five things that God uses to grow our faith. And the thing that's so amazing about these five is that they intersect our lives as children, as students, as singles, as adults, as senior adults throughout our entire life. So first up, we've talked about the first uh, three of these. The first week we talked about practical teaching. We said when people tell their story, they talk about the first time they went to a church or the first time they went to a Bible study or a campus ministry where somebody actually gave them handles and applications. They taught them what to do with what they perhaps had believed since they were, they were children. And we said this, that when our active real world faith actually intersects with God's faithfulness. And here's what I mean by that. When we actually do what we feel like our heavenly father wants us to do, when we actually do what Jesus commands us to do, and then we experience God's faithfulness on the other side of that scary decision, our act of faith intersects with his faithfulness and our faith gets bigger. The second um, catalyst for growing our faith, we said, was personal ministry. And we talk, people, when people tell their story, they talk about the first time they actually served somebody or served a group of people in Jesus' name, and they did not feel adequate, they weren't ready, they couldn't answer all the questions, they hadn't read the entire Bible, they felt like they were completely out of their league, but they just felt nudged to go on a Global X trip, or we call those, that's what we call our mission trips, to serve some children, to show up at a nonprofit, to lead a small group, they're thinking, I 
hope no one asked me any hard questions, right? And they tell those stories and they say, when I stepped into that scary place and God came through for me in spite of my inadequacy, in spite of my lack of preparation, my faith grew. Then the third dynamic we talked about this last time is providential relationships. Whenever we tell our faith story, whenever anyone tells their faith story, they talk about the people that God brought along at just the right time, at just the nick of time. You know, then I met this guy, then I met this girl, then this family moved into my neighborhood, then I got a new job, and the guy in the cube next to me, or my boss was a Christian, or my dad, you know, my mom remarried, and this guy was a Christian, and he took us to church. And whenever, when, any, when we tell our faith stories, there are always those people that were, that were just they were just there at the right time. They were like providential relationships because it was like God just dropped them into our lives. And today we're gonna talk about this fourth dynamic that people talk about every time they tell their faith story. And we call it private disciplines, private disciplines, or specifically private spiritual disciplines. Again, when people tell their faith story, they say, you know what? And for the first time in my life, I began to read the Bible. For the first time in my life, I begin to pray, not reactionary prayers like, God, please help me find a parking spot and God, please don't let that be true. And God, please let him call me back. You know, not those kind of prayers. For the first time in my life, I sat down, I cleared, you know, cleared out some space, I cleared out some time and I sat down for the first time and I really began to pray. And I learned how to talk to my father in heaven. And I began to read the scripture and I got a devotional book. And for the first time in my life, I began to give systematically. I'd always been a reactionary giver. I mean, you know, people, there's a need here and a need there. And I throw some dollars here and there. But for the first time in my life, I began, I was a percentage giver. I realized that God had called me to invest in his kingdom in my community and all over the world. So I began, you know, I began giving consistently. I began showing up consistently with other believers. And sometimes I loved it. And sometimes I just was, checking a box, but I, these were the disciplines. These were the things that I began to do over and over and over and over. And again, sometimes it began as an ought to, but eventually it became a want to. And these spiritual disciplines, when they tell their story, when you tell your story, they were a key factor in growing faith. That essentially they said, like any discipline, I pre-decided, I decided ahead of time, I'm gonna get up in the morning and read my Bible. I pre-decided, I'm gonna give a percentage of my money to God's work in the world. I pre-decided, I'm gonna show up at small group, I'm gonna show up at church when I get something out of it, when I don't get something out of it. Because something about the repetition, something about the discipline of it builds our faith. Um, they would say it became a lifestyle. And again, initially some of it was enjoyable, some of it wasn't enjoyable, but in spite of that, their faith grew. Now, um, the most important thing um, that I, when I was putting this message together, the, the thing that immediately came to mind is something that my dad would say over and over and over when I, was, when I was growing up. He would say this. He would say, Andy, the most important thing in the world, the most important thing in the world is your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. As I heard this my whole life. Andy, the most important thing in the world is your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And what he meant is this, that it's not about church and it's not just about learning and it's not just about principles and it's not just about applications. There is a personal intimate side to this. It's about waking up every single morning with a sense of personal accountability to my father 
in heaven that nobody else may know what's going on, but my Father in heaven knows what's going on. Nobody else may care what's going on, but my Father in heaven cares about what's going on. That my personal, our personal relationship with Jesus Christ is the most important thing in our lives. Not a doctrine, not a belief system, not a label, not a church. And again, it, it takes us back to this very intimate invitation that Jesus extended then and extends now. He says, I want you to follow me. I, I there has to be something personal about this. this. This is something that's daily. This is minute by minute. This is all encompassing. This is every area of your life. This is, as we've talked about before, this is thy will be done right here, right now in my life. Heavenly Father, thy will be done right here, right now in my life. And here's why this is so important. Our spiritual lives, um, and our following Jesus routines, they're both external and they're internal. And we've talked a lot about the external, those times where you step out and you obey, you step out and you serve. But if there's not the internal part, if there's not some sense of you and God, you and your heavenly father, you and the scriptures, you and prayer, if there's not some, something personal about it, what happens over time, over time, um, we lose the sense of personal connection. And when that happens, it just becomes Routine, it becomes somewhat corporate. It can grow cold. We can become cynical. We can become judgmental. Have you, don't raise your hand, but we've all met church people that we just thought, you know what? You may go to church, but you're not a very nice person. I would, I would not wanna be your neighbor or your friend. And I would not want my kids to marry any of your kids because then I'd have to be with you at Christmas, okay? And I know, I know you're a church person and I know you're a Christian, but Gosh, you're, you're just not very, to use kind of a churchy word, you're just not very Christ-like. I mean, you're, you're churchy and you do the thing and you got the routine. We've all met people like this. Here is the danger. If there is not a personal side to your faith, and we're gonna talk about how that works in just a minute. If there's not something personal, I mean, you set aside time, personal. If you just go through the motions, over time, it just becomes check a box. And over time, you can become critical, cynical, judgmental. In fact, I'm just, once again, if you've lost faith or if you're losing faith, isn't it true that one of the first things that dissipated or went away was any kind of personal connection with your heavenly father? Isn't, isn't that true? In fact, it didn't even begin with, well, I don't believe that anymore. It always begins somewhere else. And if we are not fostering and developing the personal side, Here's what happens. We're no longer following. We're just Christian. It's not personal. It's not intimate. We're just, we're just claiming and wearing a label. So the private spiritual disciplines, this is where the personal grit comes. This is where the personal tension is and it's critical to you know, building our faith. And, and here's why, and then I'll, I'll move on. Because the personal side of Christianity is what releases the kingdom of God in your life personally. Big church word, let me say it a different way. The personal side of Christianity, the intimate side of Christianity is what releases God's rule in our lives. It allows us to answer the question and forces us to grapple with the question, is Jesus really the Lord of my life or is this just something I believe if I was to be quizzed? You know, what religion are you? I'm Christian. Great, you're Christian. Is Jesus the personal Lord of your life? In other words, are you following Jesus? And if we're not careful, if we don't develop and foster and invest the personal side of our walk with God, 
It becomes corporate. And over time, I'm just telling you, some of you are wrestling with this now, or you've been there in the past. Your faith in God, the categories, you know, the belief part, it just begins to dissipate. But the, but the personal side fine tunes our conscience so that what bothers God begins to bother you. And what brings God joy begins to bring us joy. Now, when people tell their story, the three spiritual disciplines that always surface in the story are these three. And these are the three I'm gonna spend a couple of minutes on today. Daily devotions, percentage giving, and corporate worship. Now, when people tell their story, or if you were to tell us your story, you would not use these phrases. You might use this top one, but not these other three, these other two. But essentially, these are the things that come up over and over, a, a personal devotional life, People talk about when they finally decided, okay, I'm gonna become a proactive percentage giver. They had to wrestle that to the ground. And then people talk about what happens to them personally when they are with other Christians. So real quick, daily devotions. People tell the story, they say, for the first time in my life, again, as I mentioned earlier, I began reading portions of the scripture. I would highly encourage you to follow Jesus through one of the gospels. Just pick one, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and say, I'm gonna follow Jesus through this gospel. I've spent the last year and a half in Luke. I'm a slow learner, but it's just so fun to follow Jesus through one of the gospels and get up every morning and say, here we go. What happened next on this adventure? Or to follow David through his life in the Old Testament. But again, to spend some time every day, say with the scripture open or a devotional book, but at least include some of the scripture. And during that time, to pray, because in those moments when it's just you and your heavenly father, though those are the moments, unlike preaching and unlike teaching, although it happens sometimes with preaching and teaching, these are the moments when you feel as if God is speaking to you personally. He's, he's prompting you, he's warning you, he's reminding you, he's encouraging you. He's, 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 being, in, he's being invited into the details and the complexity of your life and your family. Remember when Jesus taught us to pray, we talked about this you know, a month or so ago, when Jesus taught us to pray, he said, when you pray, but when you pray, he assumes we're gonna pray, but when you pray, he doesn't say as you're driving you know, or as you're doing something else. He says, but when you pray, I want you to go into your room, which was so difficult. Houses were small, doors were made out of leather. I want you to go into your room and close the door and pray to your father who was unseen. So Jesus actually commands us to set aside time, a focused where time where God, our heavenly father, gets our undivided attention. And of course, Jesus practiced what he preached. Luke, who investigated everybody that spent time with Jesus during his earthly ministry says this, he's talking about Jesus. He says, yet the news about Jesus spread all the more because Jesus had just done something amazing. Spread all the more so that crowds of people, very popular, lots of followers, crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. He was busy, he was in demand, he's like us, he's got stuff to do, you know, things are going on. But in spite of how important his work was, and I think his work was important, Jesus' work, wouldn't you say? Yeah, he got three years to save the world. I mean, that's a pretty narrow time frame, right? Busy guy. But Jesus often withdrew to a lonely place, that means he went alone and he prayed. I was like, okay, Jesus, time out. Okay, you're like, you're like, Jesus, do you need to pray? Yeah, well, who are you praying to? That's a little complicated, but yeah, I, I, had, I prayed. Peter, who was with Jesus throughout his ministry, says this, he, he, he told Mark this when he was dictating his account to the Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to, there it is again, a solitary place to be alone where he prayed. And the 12 you know, apostles eventually wake up, they fix breakfast, they go into Jesus' room to wake him up and he's gone. He's gone again. 
So the text says that Simon, Simon Peter, and his companions went to look for him. It's like, oh no, we've been waiting for the Messiah for 2000 years and we found him and now we've lost him. So anyways, they're out looking for Jesus. And they, when they found him, they said, Jesus, everyone's looking for you. I mean, we got things to do. I mean, you're a busy guy. We got, you know, Jesus like, the fact that I'm so busy, the fact that there's so much to do is the reason I get up extra early to spend time alone with my father. Jesus, who we're following, gave his father the first minutes of the day. If we're gonna follow Jesus, we should give our heavenly father the first minutes of our day. And it's a discipline. It's something we pre-decide. And when we're alone, this is where we do what we've talked about before, we acknowledge God's greatness. We declare our, our dependence and we surrender our will. And we anticipate the day. We know the temptations that are coming. They're generally the same thing over and over. We know the stress that's coming. We know the meeting that's gonna happen. We know we're gonna have to have that, that chat with our son or daughter after school. We know what's coming. And we invite our heavenly father into the details of our day. And then we follow Jesus. So beginning the day with that reminder of our accountability to our heavenly father. It's the best way to start the day. And time alone with God, you know what it does? It informs or continues to inform and form our conscience. And an informed conscience, an informed conscience fine tunes us to what brings God joy and what gives God trouble. And an, un, an unrenewed mind or, or a conscience that isn't fine tuned to the things of God creates a very, very fragile, fragile faith. Now, this second um, spiritual discipline, just to be maybe more personal than you want me to be, I have discovered through the years that this is often the faith tipping point for men in particular. In other words, this is the thing that men, and I, I'm sure women, you wrestle with it as well, but just in my experience, this is the thing that when it comes to following Jesus, like, okay, I'll get my kids in church and I'll be at church and you know, and I might even serve. But this is the one where us men, oftentimes we have to wrestle this to the ground. And in wrestling it to the ground is when we discover this really isn't a money thing. This is a faith thing. And that's the, the personal discipline, private spiritual discipline of percentage giving. That is deciding upfront, I'm not just gonna give when I see a need, I'm gonna choose a percentage of my income and I'm gonna pre-decide to invest it in what God is doing in our community and what God is doing in the world. And as we wrestle with this one, here's what we discover. And many of you have discovered this. It's not even about money. It's about priorities. It's about our confidence in God. It's about our faith in God. Jesus said this, and it seems so cavalier when he said this, especially to people living on the edge of starvation in some cases. He says, hey, look, do not worry saying, what are we gonna eat? What are we gonna drink? What are we gonna wear? Three things that most of us never even think about because we know what we're gonna eat and we know what we're gonna drink and we have so much to wear, right? So we can change this, we can say, don't worry saying, how am I gonna get my kids through college? You know, How am I ever gonna afford to retire? What am I gonna do about a job? And Jesus says, don't worry about that. To which we say, yeah, but what if there's not enough for me? And Jesus says, he smiles, he says, look, come on. That's what, that's what pagans think about all the time. That's what the pagans run after. They're consumed with what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? And we're like, I'm kind of consumed that way too. I mean, I feel responsible for the people who, you know, are, I'm responsible for. And then Jesus smiles. And this is, the, this is why this is a faith issue. And he says, look, your heavenly father, 
He knows your kids need to go to college. He, he knows you gotta pay bills. He, he knows, he knows what you need them. And this is the crunch. This is the tension. This is the, do you believe Jesus? That's the issue, is do you believe him? Do you believe that he's connected to your father in heaven and that your father in heaven knows your name and knows, do you believe really? No, I, no, I believe Jesus died for my sins and I'm gonna go to heaven when I die. I mean, come on, let's, all right. How hard is it to trust God for something you have no control over anyway? How hard is it to trust God for something you have no control over anyway? Not hard, because you have no control over it. This is why, unfortunately, the only time some of you pray is when there's a crisis. When there's a crisis you can't handle, you can't solve and you can't fix. It's like, okay, I've run out of my resources. God, I'm trusting in you. And your heavenly father's like, I got an idea. Let's do that all the time. I wanna invite you to do that all the time. I wanna want invite you to live your whole life trusting in me. That's what big, bold, life-changing, world-changing faith looks like. Jesus says, come on. I'm inviting you to put your money where your faith is, regardless, 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 right? Here's what he says regarding our resources. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Sounds familiar, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And all these other things that you're so consumed about, they're gonna, they're gonna come as well because your father knows. Now here's, here's me just, I wanna make sure you understand where I'm coming from on this. So I'm gonna give you a big statement. Giving. Giving, exercise, percentage upfront, predecided discipline giving. It exercises our faith because it involves letting go of what we are most inclined to put our confidence in rather than God. This is why it's a faith thing. It's not even a money thing. Jesus was so brilliant on this. I mean, it's so brilliant. He says, look, you can't have two kings. Can't have two bosses. Can't have two lords. The word he uses, you can't have two masters. You're either gonna surrender and follow God, or you're gonna surrender and follow. And we would think based on our you know, Bible worldview, he would say it's either God or the devil. Jesus goes, oh, come on, let's get real. You're not struggling with whether you're gonna follow God or the devil. Well, you're right about that. Jesus says, let me pry. Your issue, Andy, our issue is, are you gonna trust God or are you gonna trust your stuff? Trust your wealth. It's like, well, I'd like to do both. I would like to trust in my wealth until it runs out. And then you're like the backup plan to which our heavenly father says, no. The invitation is follow, prioritize, surrender to me. And your heavenly father knows your heart and knows my heart this well. He knows, this is so amazing, that the number one contender for my loyalty, as a man, especially, I think, the number one contender for my loyalty is not the devil, it's my financial security. And Jesus says, so come on, trust me with that. And then I'll know that I got you. This is easy for me. And I, 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 you know, you know, I just gotta let you know, it's easy for me because I was raised this way. I mean, I gave the first dime out of every dollar, first dollar out of every 10 to the church, first 10 out of every, you know, 100. And I remember the first time I gave $100. Um, I was in high school. I think I was a junior in high school because I remember who I was sitting next to, but I won't talk much about that. Anyway, so I was a junior in high school. I'm sitting in church on a Sunday night. This is in the 70s. Like we're still learning the words to Sweet Home Alabama. This that long ago, okay? Anyway, so I'm sitting in church. At the end of the service, my dad does this invitation, my dad's pastor, and people came forward. And then as we were in the service on Sunday night, he said, hey, before you go, and he calls this young woman up and he said, this is so-and-so. In fact, he, I still remember her name. This is Terry. 
this is how this is how this was etched in my mind. This is Terry. Terry was in nursing school. There was a specific need. She needed some money. She said, if there's anybody here that would like to help Terry, she's gonna be down here at the front. And when he said that, I just felt this thing on the inside. It wasn't a voice that said, you should give her $100. I, this, I mean, I was working at Winn-Dixie for minimum wage, cleaning the meat department after all the, everybody went home. It was not the greatest job. But anyway, and I was trying to save up for a car that I thought you know, would be reliable. And I had this little Toyota Corolla that was on its last leg. And I just thought $100, there's no way God said that. Okay, just, you know, we'll just pray, God, please bring somebody up. And I just, you know, you just can't shake it. And I was already giving 10% of my money to the church and, you know, did other stuff. $100, it was, it was a fortune to me. And I'm going out of my car, I have my checkbook. You know, remember Joe's, they're like the real rectangle paper things. Anybody remember checks? Anyway, yeah. And I went down, I said, I know this is so odd, but I just feel like I should give you $100. And she cried. My dad's like, I think my dad was like, are you, are you sure? You know, like, what's $100? You know, are you gonna be coming to me later, right? <laughs> now, why do I remember that? Because you know what the battle was? The battle wasn't, am I gonna be able to eat and sleep and live indoor? No, the battle was, this is mine. God says, okay, but I want, I, I want you to be mine. So give it. This is a faith Thing. It's hard to start as an adult. It's hard to be a percentage, start as a percentage giver as an adult. I get that. But as you wrestle with this spiritual discipline, here's the word I want you to wrestle with. Why? Why? And eventually you realize it's really not about money. It's, a, it's about confidence in God. It's about surrender. It's about follow. It really is about our faith. And can I say one more thing to us guys? Look, Please don't hide behind, well, I like to give when I see a need. Okay, that's what pagans do. That's what Americans do. That's what everybody does. That's a bit of a Messiah complex. I'm gonna come swooping in and I'm gonna be a solution to a problem. And you know what? Every once in a while, in fact, not every once in a while, that should be common to us Christians. We should be the, I mean, we should be swooping in anytime we can to meet a need, absolutely. But if that's the only way you give, that does nothing for your faith. That just strokes your ego. So you, if you're gonna follow Jesus at some point, are gonna have to develop the spiritual discipline, a percentage, priority, I've decided ahead of time, giving. And as you wrestle with that, you just remember this, it's a faith issue. And when you say yes, God will do something for your faith, guarantee you. Last one, it's corporate worship. I'll do this quick. This doesn't seem very personal, doesn't seem like the rest, but um, because it doesn't seem private, but it, it actually is because corporate worship is not just, you know, gathering in a place like this or in your group with other Christians. It's not just about learning and sharing ideas and, and hearing stories. It, it's way bigger than that. Something happens, I can put it this way. Something happens personally when we gather corporately. It just does. Um, there, there's a group dynamic that has a personal, private impact and you've experienced this. You've experienced this sometime in the singing. You've experienced this sometime in just a story that's told. Um, during you know, 2020, Sandra and I kept saying to each other, I miss church, I miss church, I miss church. And what were we saying? We weren't missing the building. I have a key to the building. We could have come to the building every day. You miss church, let's go visit, walk around the halls. I just feel better, I've been to church. It wasn't the building, right? And it wasn't the preaching because I preached to her all the time. So I know she wasn't missing the, no. 
I mean, preaching, you can, I mean, we can get preaching anytime, anywhere. You can hear all the best people, you know, on demand. So it wasn't that preaching. There was, there was, there was a we thing that we just missed. You've experienced, Jesus said this, and I don't claim to understand this. He said, where two or three are gathered, where two or three gather in my name, I there I am with them, or King James says, there I am in the midst of them. And I, I don't know all this means, but here's what I know at a minimum it means. That when I gather, when I gather with you in Jesus' name, I might experience the presence of God in a way that I wouldn't experience on my own. I know it means at least that. It, it, it means that I can experience something with you that I can't experience on my own and that what I experience with God on my own is limited if I don't in some, at some point gather with other believers in Jesus' name. It goes beyond learning stuff. It's more about experiencing it. And part of it is, I think, part of it is, and this is some of the frustration of gathering in big places, part of it is when we gather together, do you know what we're forced to give up? We're forced to give up a bit of our autonomy. Who's gonna sit there, right? And do I get to park and uh, we have to give up our part of our autonomy. We have to give up part of our individualism and I becomes we. And did you know we, we, there's something to we that's better than I. Paul said this way, he said, now you talking to Christians in Corinth, now you actually, it's a second person plural. So literally it should say this, now y'all, now y'all, he's talking to a group, okay. Now y'all are the body of Christ that each one of you, each one of you is a part of it. There, there is an aspect of the Christian faith that I cannot experience apart from you. And we're all part of this community, but we have to choose to participate in the community. We have to choose. And at some point, at some time, it feels a little bit like a discipline, but it's a reminder every time we get together, you know, it's a reminder of that God is up to something bigger than you, that includes you. God is up to something bigger than you in the world, but it includes you. And we lose that sense of we and us when we isolate ourselves from we and us. And something happens to me personally when I gather with you corporately. So here's what I wanna do. And I know you're, you're so tired of 30 day challenges, but I'm gonna offer, I'm gonna issue one anyway. I wanna challenge all of you, all of you, if, if this isn't already part of your life, to embrace these three spiritual disciplines for a month, these three private disciplines for a month. And teeing off of Jesus' command to seek first the kingdom of God, seek first the kingdom of God, seek first the kingdom of God. I want to challenge you specifically to seek first, as first as in first thing, the kingdom of God in these three areas. I want you to give him the first minutes of your day, the first dollars of your income, and the first day of the week. First, you don't have to give him all the minutes of the day, just the first minutes. You don't have to give them all the dollars, you know, you just give them the first dollars, you pick the percentage, you don't have to go with 10%, just pick a percentage and commit to it, it's a discipline. And a part of the first day of the week or some day of the week to say, I'm going to gather with other believers in Jesus' name, daily devotions, percentage giving and corporate worship. And at the personal level, this really is what it looks like. This really is what it looks like to seek first the kingdom of God because these things challenge us individually and personally. And that's where intimacy with our heavenly father is found. These things of course have been habits for me for years. I would never ask you to do something I wasn't willing to do myself. And I'm absolutely convinced. These are three things among other things when it comes to personal disciplines that God has used to grow up and blow up my faith. There's so many illustrations, I'm not gonna tell you any more today, of times when it was just me on my knees, me with the scripture, me praying, when it was just like out of the blue and I just knew, oh, this is something that I need to do. 
And you only have to experience that a few times when you realize, oh my goodness, he really is my heavenly father. And there really is something personal and private to this. And your faith will get bigger. Your confidence in God will grow stronger. And initially it may feel like pure discipline, but you know what? There's no progress without discipline. And who knows? What began as an ought to may become a want to. But either way, your faith will grow. So we'll wrap things up next week. We're gonna wrap up the entire series next week. And we talk about the fifth thing that God uses to grow up our faith. Um, let me just say this. Next week would be a great, 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 great time to invite someone um, you know that's going through a difficult time or someone who just doesn't, think the God thing is a real thing and church isn't their priority. Next week would be a great, great week to invite a guest. So don't miss next week. Before we go, three quick questions to keep the conversation going or to get it going over lunch or over group time. Is there something you currently enjoy doing that began as a discipline? What made the difference? How did it go from ought to to want to? Number two, growing up, were you encouraged to develop some of the habits we talked about today? And if so, did you continue them as an adult or did they drop by the wayside? And number three, I would love for you at some point this week to look up Matthew 6, um, one through four, and then verses five and six. In these verses, Jesus assumes that, we're, that people pray and he assumes that people give. But the question I want you to wrestle with is are you a reactive giver and a reactive prayer or are you a proactive giver and a proactive prayer? Do you just respond to people's needs and give and do you just respond to crisis and pray? Or are you a person as Jesus instructs us to do who has set aside time to pray and you've decided ahead of time to give? because those two spiritual disciplines along with meeting together again are things that God uses to grow our faith. Let me pray for us and we'll go. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for preserving these words. Thank you so much, Father, for those of us here today that in our hearts were just saying yes, 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 because it was, these are the things that you use to get our attention and these are the things that you use to give us greater confidence in you. So wherever this lands, would you give us the courage to step into it? And Father, I just pray for us guys. I mean, just the way we're wired and so much of that is the image of God in us. Would you give us the courage to not put our trust in riches, but to put our trust in Him who richly provides? So wherever this lands with us, I pray we wouldn't just go, yeah, that was interesting, but that we would act on what we've heard. And in doing so, that you would do something in us, through us, and just make our faith bigger. In Jesus' name, amen.